0: welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. We're going to talk about Joey Gallo playing like an MVP, the thing that the Twins catchers are doing. I don't think we've talked about Williams Estadio yet, but it's partially about him. Uh, We have to talk about Ian Desmond for a good reason. We have to wonder if Joey Vado and Jose Ramirez are done. Not great signs there. And finally, we're going to dig into Sonny Gray and the Reds pitching. But first, before we do any of that, we have launched a new podcast series at MLB.com. It's called Full Account. Uh, the first couple are by our friend Anthony Kastrovitz. And Matt here is going to explain a little more about what we're doing with
1: that. Yeah, it's our first uh, dive into long-form narrative podcasts and um, Anthony Kastrovitz, uh, Put together six episodes with the help of uh, some of our uh, beat reporters on um, the 2009 draft, which if you look back at it, really had a number of superstars, but they were spread out across like the whole draft. So you had Strasburg at one, Mike Trout famously at number 25, and then you get into the second round. You've got Nolan Arenado, who was just named Player of the Week, who, uh, as I learned from listening to the podcast, the Rockies originally wanted to be a catcher, Yeah, yeah. Um, which I thought was pretty wild. Um, you also hear uh, Matt Chapman talk glowingly, high school teammate Matt Chaplin talk glowingly about uh, Arenado, which is pretty cool. Um, then we also have uh, Paul Goldschmidt in the eighth round. You've got JD Martinez, I think, in the 20th round. And then you also had that year was also the there's another episode we did about Jeff Luna, who is the Cardinals scouting director. And that Cardinals draft produced Matt Carpenter. Trevor Rosenthal, Matt Adams, all late-round guys who are big parts of their 2013 uh, pennant-winning team. Uh, It's really um, – it's different than anything else we've done before. Uh, And for any baseball fan, any fan of the draft, it's just great stories, learned a lot of stuff, all sorts of aha moments. I did not know that kind of things. Um, Highly recommend.
0: I just realized uh, we are now old enough that it could be 10 years since Mike Trout got drafted, (laughs) which is wild to me.
1: The the, the wildest story – in, in there. Is it talking about, you know, as as Kastrovan says, there's all these teams that, you know, everyone says like, oh, I had Mike Trout second on my board. And, you know, he kind of digs deep into the teams that were really in on Mike Trout and didn't take him for whatever reason. And there's a story from um, the Diamondbacks scouting director at the time I think it was with the Mariners, I'm not sure, Tom Allison, who talks about how he was in Philly and he was supposed to go see, he was about to get a connecting flight to go see Stephen Matz pitch in a high school game in Long Island. And he found out one of his, the area scout called him and was like, Oh, Matt's game has rained out. And so he was like, Well, what am I going to do with my day now? He's like, Oh, Trout's playing. He's only like an hour from here. I guess I'll go see Trout. And he was like, I went and saw Trout and he had the worst game I've ever seen him play. And he was like, oh, We're not going to draft we're out. him. We're out. So basically, if it hadn't rained on Long Island, Mike Trout could have been a diamondback. That is an amazing story.
0: So that is the full account with an A podcast, which is a, a very clever name. I appreciate that one. Um, moving on to our topics, Joey Gallo. Is going? he's not going to win the MVP. I understand this. But I find that the, uh, the articles I enjoy writing the most are like when I tweet a half-baked idea and people get all upset about it. And I think, well, now there's something here. I have to dig into this. And so I did. I wrote about how Joey Gallo is playing like he is an MVP candidate because he really is. And I think what upset people about this at first was, Oh, Joey Gallo, he's a one-tool player. He strikes out too much. He hits 205. Nobody like that can win the the Most Valuable Player Award. Uh, and setting aside the fact that the you know Rangers are okay, they're not going to win that division, obviously, uh, he really is playing like an MVP guy. He is first in the American League in weighted on base, first in OPS, third in weighted runs created plus. Uh, He's hitting 278, 425, 646, and I came up with, I think, five reasons why, and they're all kind of intertwined here, Um, and my favorite one is going to be when we get to the shift. So many people just want the man to bunt against the shift, and I look at them and I go the guy's slugging 646 why in the world would you want him to do literally anything different than be the best hitter in the American League to date I don't think he's actually better than Mike Trout obviously uh that's wild to me so we're gonna get to that in a second here's here's everything comes back to this one thing the Rangers got a new hitting coach this offseason Luis Ortiz and a new manager uh, Chris Woodard and uh you know they kind of went to them him and he said and I don't have the quote in front of me it was from uh, Levi Weaver in The Athletic and I thought it was perfect so I'm paraphrasing here Uh, The new hitting coach said to him, you're essentially the strongest man on earth. You don't need to swing at 150% power every single time. If you just make a little more contact, uh, you're strong enough to get the ball out of the park, which makes a total amount of sense to me. Um, He's not actually striking out less. That's what makes everything fun. You'd think like, oh, the year he puts this all together, he's going to cut his strikeout rate. No, strikeout rate is exactly the same. Uh, But here's what's happening. I I came up with five reasons why he's an MVP uh, caliber player this year. Number one is simply he's chasing less. He's not going after garbage. We've talked about this idea a thousand times. Like the best thing you can do, swing at strikes, don't swing at the trash. Uh, he has dropped his chase rate from 33% to 25%. That's the biggest chase rate in the big leagues, uh, excuse me, biggest chase rate in the American League, uh, third in the big leagues behind Swanson and Freeman. And it makes sense, right? Since the start of 2018, the majors have hit 283 with a 488 slugging inside the zone. And 155 and a 214 selecting outside the zone. Same thing for Joey Gallo. Uh, and not unrelated, his walk rate is up from 12% to 20%. That's the biggest jump in Major League Baseball. All right, so number one, he's making better plate decisions. That has allowed him to do, number two, hit the ball harder. You wouldn't think Joey Gallo needed to hit the ball any harder, uh, but he is. 49% hard hit rate last year. He is now up to almost 57%, second best in baseball behind only Josh Bell, who is playing an entirely different sport. Uh, and this all makes sense, right? If in the last two seasons, in 17 and 18, he had an 86-mile-an-hour exit velocity on contact outside the zone and 95 miles an hour inside the zone. It all goes back to better plate decisions. And I thought the third thing was pretty cool. We talk a lot about guys trying to elevate, get off the ground. He is elevating less which I thought was kind of fun. This is the guy who has always been hitting like these wild moonshots. Um, he's still striking at the same. He's still got a 30% ground ball rate. It's the other 70% of his batted balls that I find fascinating. He has cut his fly ball rate from 50% to 38%. It's the second largest drop. He has upped his line drive rate uh, from 20% to 31%. That's the second largest jump. And after 53 pop-ups the last two years, which are essentially strikeouts, he's got only seven this year. And I think this goes back to the same idea... He doesn't need to crush balls straight up in the air. Those low line drives for him, or or high line drives and low flying balls, they will leave the park. That is what he's done. That's how he's beating the shift. It's
1: yeah, he's great. he's the one player that anytime I see like, oh, Joey Gallo Homer, I go instantly want to see the highlights because yes. like it's always interesting. Sometimes it's like the low line drive. Sometimes it is the majestic uh, moonshot into the second deck. It's uh, he is a wide variety of aesthetically pleasing home runs
0: it's fun and so you know not that we talk about batting average on the show but he's up from 206 to 278 but it's weird right still striking out a lot um the way he's doing that is is because he's hitting the ball harder at more prosperous angles i looked at this he's got a 387 batting average on balls in play he has a 389 expected batting average on balls in play this isn't dumb luck like he is he's earning it it's not the same thing as saying it'll sustain uh and that leads me to my fourth point he is ignoring the shift. This is my favorite thing. Everybody sees the left side of the infield. They assume, well, he should just bunt or he should just, you know, slap a single the other way. First of all, it's not easy. People assume it's easy. It's really hard. Like, it's really hard to do that.
1: Although, did you see the the, um, the other day, uh, I think it was on uh, Sunday, the the bunt that Todd Frazier did to beat the shift? I've never seen one of these. I did not It was see om- it. it was, like, much more of, like, almost like a slug bunt where he actually, like— sort of put his 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 top hand high up towards the barrel of the bat but he like basically like so smacked it into right field so
0: so he swings like my three-year-old <laughs>
1: basically it was but it worked pretty well and I, I looked at it and it felt to me like that actually seems more effective than trying to like deaden the ball like 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 an old school like dead yeah. the ball bunt. well i agree with that that's not right that's not a bunt
0: that is and also todd frazier is a
1: very different hitter than joey not, And by the way i'm not encouraging i'm not saying i'm encouraging this but i was like oh I, I i haven't seen that one before it was a little bit of a di- little bit of a different look uh
0: joey gallo last week gave a pretty great great quote to uh jeff Pass of ESPN you don't just learn to hit the other way if I'm slapping singles down the line am I still Joey Gallo am I still productive I can't try to play to that because it's not me and I like to play in the major leagues I get paid to drive guys in and hit the ball out of the ballpark and I thought that was pretty fun because if you look at the numbers and you say to yourself well he's having a great year maybe he's going the other way against the shift false his percentage of opposite field batted balls with the shift on was 20 percent in 2017 and 23 percent last year And 15% this year, the man has two opposite field hits, uh, ground ball hits. Uh, One was into the shift, and one, uh, you could just tell by the swing, he was completely fooled and did not mean to do that whatsoever. And his pull percentage is up. It's up by uh, nearly 10 points from 45% to 54%. So so to recap, still striking out a lot. That's never going to change. Uh he's swinging at better pitches, he's hitting them harder, he's hitting them slightly lower, so he's crushing home runs and also getting it over the shift. That is that's how he's attacking the shift by just trying to murder the shift.
1: And I uh, look, I'm looking at his Baseball Savant player page and now this year he's getting shifted on 96.4% of uh of plate appearances. <laughs> Last year was 84%, the year before that it was 82. So this year 96.4% of plate appearances his weighted on base when there is no shift is 758. His <laughs> weighted base when there is a shift is 427.
0: I, I didn't look that. I didn't look it up. But I would have to assume that the four percent of times he's not being shifted are times where the situation just doesn't allow. For, yeah, like, like m- bases loaded in the ninth inning or whatever. So it's probably more like 100 percent of shiftable opportunities. He's no, being shifted no question.
1: <laughs> My favorite actual J- Joey Joey Gallo stat was dug up by our own Sarah Langs when he hit his 100th home run which is that when he hit his 100th home run at the time, he had, he was the first player to get to 100 home runs before getting to 100 singles. He had 93 singles at the time of his 100th home run. Insane. And prior to him, the player with the fewest number of singles before 100 home runs was Russell Brannion with 172, almost twice as many. It's,
0: it's, it's he's, a good day when we can have a Russell Brannion <laughs> reference and the, on
1: the Until this year, that was always kind of the guy I compared Gallo to. It was like – Joey Gallo is Russell Brandon if Russell Brandon ever got the chance to play every day because Russell Brandon when he came up was like it was like, "Oh, this guy can't play every day. he strikes out too much. The game has changed, so like the game has changed to a point where it allowed Joey Gallo to play every day so the last couple of years was basically, oh, a full season of Russell Brandon, but now he's got he's appears to have improved um although the way uh, bill james has been trolling mike on twitter you should be following I, it, these, these discussions maybe there's some dispute about how much uh, joey gallo actually has improved but that's a separate conversation well
0: well I, very quickly people have asked me about that and i've met bill james in person several times he's been super friendly and i'm i'm pretty sure this is like a mutual respectful ribbing but I'm not 100% sure, um, but I'm glad you brought up Russell Brannion because there is one other large difference between them. Russell Brannion was like a four corners, basically a DH kind of guy. Joey Gallo's been playing center field for the Rangers because Delano DeShields got sent down, uh, and he's been playing it pretty well. And you know He's a little more athletic than I think people think. He's got 68th percentile sprint speed that's above average. He has three of the nine hardest outfield throws in baseball this year. He had 100 miles an hour on March 31st, and he may end up doing something this year that has never happened in baseball. He is listed at six foot five and two hundred and thirty five pounds. Now I know, especially going back through history, those measurements are maybe iffy, and certainly guys can change, you know, not height but weight over the course of their careers. But go with me on this. Uh, in the history of baseball, there have only been five players who had a qualified season, enough plate appearances for the batting average title, uh, to play center field at least forty percent of the time, quote, being six foot five or taller. Only five guys have done it. Uh, Dexter Fowler did it so, uh, seven times. Alex Rios, Von Hayes, Dave Winfield, and Jason Hayward is actually doing it right now. Only five players have played center field 40% of the time while being listed at 235 pounds or heavier. Uh, Mike Trout has done it a bunch of times in a row, Marlon Bird, Josh Hamilton, and also Jason Hayward. No one has ever done it at the same time, playing regular center field at least 40% of the time while being 6'5 and 235. Hayward would, but I don't think he's going to actually stay above 40%. He plays a lot of right field. Joey Gallo could be the first man in the history of baseball to play a regular center field while being as large as he is. And he's, I wouldn't say he's a gold glover out there. He's playing it pretty capably. He's like a scratch center fielder right now. That's incredibly impressive to me.
1: Oh, he's he's awesome. Also, my favorite thing is that I've been wanting him in the home run derby for a few yes. years. Yes. And when they announced this year the new prize money for the home run derby, Joey Gallo was like, okay. "I want, I want in." <laughs> so hopefully that happens over the weekend. Pete Alonso said he wants in. Oh so, my So uh, this could be hopefully you know people are like oh after Judge and and Stanton in uh, in Miami like the home run derby can't be topped. If we get Gallo and Alonso, this could uh we could I we could we could be beyond something. We'd
0: be so happy to watch that. That would be uh fantastic. I I noticed something uh, moving on to our next topic here. I didn't realize the Twins were a full 10 games up on Cleveland. Like I obviously the Twins have been a great story. 10 games? Oh, it's That that it's, says a lot about Cleveland as well, right? As well as the Twins. Um, but I started digging into all the reasons why and I think the first thing that everybody thinks of is mashing home runs. Like their offense has been ridiculous. I think I found a pretty fun leaderboard here. What I did was I looked at every team uh, and their, their hitting performance, just offense, uh, for each position. So I, this is going to have to be with OPS because baseball reference was the only one that allowed me to do this. And what I mean by this is the, the best team position in baseball right now, just hitting, would be right field for the Dodgers uh, with an OPS of 1138. That makes sense, right? That's all Cody, Cody Bellinger. Uh, number two would be Pittsburgh first baseman, sure, Josh Bell. Uh, number three, Milwaukee right field, sure, Christian Yelich. Number four, Twins catchers with, <laughs> with an OPS of 1,024. And that completely blew my mind. Uh, they are hitting, and this is just their time spent behind the plate. Uh, 296, 374, 651. That's slightly better than Cubs catchers, Contreras, Cubs first baseman, Rizzo, uh, Rockies third baseman, and would you believe it? Twins shortstops, because Jose Polanco's been awesome. Now you're asking yourself, wait a minute, where's Angel's center fielders there? They're actually uh, like 11th on this list. They get dragged a little bit by uh, Peter Burgess, who has 21 center field plate appearances and has a 095, 095, 143 line. Uh, twins catchers? Now, how many people do you think could name all three Twins catchers?
1: Um, not many, <laughs> but I will – I mean, what is interesting about the Twins are doing is, you know, the idea of carrying three catchers has sort of been like a weird thing that most teams teams haven't really done for a long time, and because, you know, specifically uh, – in these eras of limited, you know, with expanded bullpens and limited bench spaces, it doesn't really make sense to have, quote-unquote, two catchers on your bench. But the thing about the Twins, especially with Estudio, is he can play. He's played some third base. He's played some uh, second base, some second first, base, first base. base. Outfield. So it's like— yeah. the... And Garver's been hurt, so the... they haven't even had him. And there. their third catcher is sort of—exactly. So is sort of like a utility man. And it also—I mean, not to, I don't believe that these numbers are any of their true talent, talent levels. I mean, Garver's oh, I, got an... I
0: have reasons.
1: <laughs> but that said— It's not an accident that they're Able to rotate guys and keep them fresher and get the most out of their performance as opposed to grinding one or two catchers every day, day in and day out.
0: I think Castro has actually said that, like specifically that. He likes being a little more well rested because last year he got off to a pretty lousy start and then he hurt his knee and he was out for the rest of the season. Uh, and it, it's true. If you look at these guys uh, together, as I said, as catchers, a, a 1024 OPS and elsewhere in only 64 plate appearances, they are hitting 217, 250, 300. I don't think this is a meaningful thing. I think it's just kind of cool that you can look at this like top list of positions and find twins catchers with all these superstars. I mean it says a lot about the gains the Twins have made. Um yeah, there are like you said several reasons it's not going to last. Astudio started out 6 for his first 9 and since he is 220, 230, 329, Twitter will cry themselves to sleep if and when Astudio gets sent back as he is, you know, an internet I guess folk hero would be the right way to say that's 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 correct or cult Um, hero just hilariously by the way he's uh last year 97 plate appearances two walks three strikeouts this year 98 plate appearances two walks three strikeouts he is he is very on brand he is who he is and mitch garver has a 480 weighted on base and a 378 expected weighted on base on the other hand castro has a 391 weighted on base and a 438 expected weighted on base he seems somewhat legit his hard hit rate is up from 31 percent to 52 percent his launch angle has doubled from 8 to 16 i haven't read about a swing change uh but i assume it's in there there is another leaderboard though that may point to the fact that this isn't just for catchers this is twins as a whole did you realize that as a team right now they have the best ops in high leverage situations in the history of baseball <laughs> <laughs> 992 uh look at some of these teams are ahead of the 1953 brooklyn dodgers uh the 1930 philadelphia athletics if you don't remember 1930 uh that was like the entire league was playing a coors field that year it was a like bizarre year in baseball uh the uh the 2003 and 05 red Sox, a couple of those late 90s cleveland indian teams like the, the 98 the
1: 98 yankees yeah, literally the
0: 98 <laughs> yankees and the 1930 Yankees. The Twins are on that list. Not only are they on that list, they are topping the 1953 Dodgers by 77 points of OPS. It's, we're laughing because it's hilarious. I can't imagine it's going to last, but this team is so much fun right now. I
1: was, I was reading the, uh, the invaluable Joe Sheehan newsletter, and he had this tidbit. He said, uh, the best season any single catcher has ever had at the plate was by Mike Piazza in 1997. He hit 362, 431, 638 with 40 homers for a 185 OPS plus. Twins catchers are hitting 307, 389, 699 for a 198 OPS plus. If the two win if the twins do win the division, rambly, <laughs> randomly assembling Peak Mike Piazza will be a big reason why. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's such an amazing way uh to put that. And the twins have, you know, honestly been fantastic, right? And, and they, you know 36 and 17. They're 10 games up. Uh, on Cleveland. They have the best run differential in baseball at 110. If you look at Fangress right now, they now have a 95% odds to make the playoffs, 91% to win the division. And I think this is just super fun. This is from Aaron Gleeman, and he tweeted this out the other day, and it blew my mind to see it. The Twins have been out-homered in 26 of the last 27 seasons by a total of 1,149 homers. Now look at them. They're first in slugging, first in home runs, first in runs, the lowest ground ball rate, the best hard hit rate. And I mean, they haven't even like turned over the roster. These aren't a ton of new guys. These are, it's a new coaching staff, for sure. It's a new analytics department and all that. Uh, but uh, some of these are just breakouts you wouldn't have seen coming.
1: And what's kind of crazy is they did most of this with Sano out, if yes. you said, "Oh, the Twins are going to like lead the league in homers," be like, "Well, I guess Sano had a huge year. He yeah. came back last week, and of course, in nine games played, he already has five home runs. He's, he's come in and he's he's joined the party. It's him. It's the
0: catchers. It's Krohn. It's Rosario. It's Kepler. I, I
1: mean, they're definitely beating up on that division, which is weak. But that's kind of what good teams do. Go back and look at what the '98 Yankees did to like the Rays. You know, <laughs> like an expansion Rays. Like this is what good teams do. You know, so." Uh, more power to him i mean it's not it doesn't look like it's gonna be much of the race much of a race in the al central we'll get to that a little bit when we talk about jose ramirez as part of the reasons why um but uh, the twins are one of the best stories in baseball
0: yeah there may not have been a player i've been as maybe negative on over the last couple of years as ian desmond i didn't like that deal from the second it was signed it was a huge ground ball hitter with a spotty track record he got more that that winner uh than justin turner did by like kind of a lot,
1: yeah. It's which... I think if you if you like did like a word cloud of our podcast the last three years, like the the, the names that would show up the most would be Ian Desmond, Luis Luis Perdomo, Seth, Luis, Seth Luga, Luis Lucas Yeah, um, it's quite a, quite a roster we're we're assembling here. But yes, uh, Desmond has certainly drawn um, our, our, our ire on a few occasions. It, so
0: he's in the third year of this what, five year, eighty million dollar deal, I think yeah. it was. And if were you to look at his stat line, uh, more of the same. So last year, twenty eighteen. He had a 307 on base and a 422 slugging. Uh this year, 308 on base and a 437 slugging. The the weighted on base is exactly the same. Uh the weighted runs created plus is basically exactly the same. And if you were to just look at that and skip by, you'd say, okay, it's more of the same, just kind of another disappointing, barely there year. But something is different this year, and I, I felt like we had to at least mention it. Um, his hard hit rate is up to forty-seven percent. That is eighty-eighth percentile. It's similar to to Matt Chapman, Mancada and Ronald Acuna. But more importantly, he has one of the largest ground ball drops in all of Major League Baseball. I looked at everybody who had two hundred plate appearances last year and one hundred this year. Number one on that list, Gary Sanchez, who we've talked about before. Number two is Ian Desmond. He had a sixty-two percent ground ball rate. He is down to forty-two percent. Like that's a big deal. If you look at his launch angle in twenty seventeen, it was zero. And last year it was zero.
1: Exactly. To be clear, literally zero, literally zero.
0: <laughs> and this year it's up to 10. Like that's, that's not nothing. Um, this is a guy who between 2015 and 2018 had the fourth highest ground ball rate. And look at the guys who's on this list, you know, Nori Aoki, Howie Kendrick and Dee Gordon. And that's not a guy you want in Coors Field because you're not going to be able to take advantage of that air. Now I saw this and I'm like, this guy's hitting the ball hard, striking out a little more, but not that much more. He's hitting it in the air. Where is actually the production? Like, why is he still having the same kind of, like, meh outcomes? Um, I think maybe what happened here is, you know, if you look at his expected weighted on base, that accounts for strikeouts, walks, launch angle, exit velocity, that has actually jumped up a lot. 304 last year, which is poor. 350 this year, which is pretty good. 65th percentile. It's similar to Andrew McCutcheon and Jonathan Scope grandal merrifield that's really good uh but the weight on the base hasn't really caught up and you know i hate to put like bad luck to these things but what i think is happening here is if you look at his april and may you can sort of see it happening in april another bad month 196 235 370 meh in may 288 408 542 like that's that's really good uh it seems like he's changed his approach very clearly like you look at the launch angle uh and i'd kind of forgotten about this until i read it i think in, in the athletic remember last year he didn't hit a ball in the air to left field until may 6th like that was kind of a fun ongoing how are you doing this as a rocky watch and um also you know from the athletic he did change his training regimen this year. He used to hit off of what's called an iron mike pitching machine, which will pitch at major league velocities. Uh, his local hitting facility shut down, and he didn't put it in his home cage because he had young sons and didn't want them to get hurt. So his first two years with the Rockies, he just had a friend throw a batting practice, and that was not a, you know, at a major league velocity. This year he put it back in, which seems like it makes sense, but he's actually hitting worse than ever on fastballs. He's mashing breaking pitches and off speed. So I'm not sure that actually tracks, but it's an interesting story. I am not going to sit here and say I believe in the Ian Desmond renaissance but he's finally doing something interesting he's hitting hard and he's
1: hitting the ball in the air that seems like it should be a good thing it's definitely something i will now be paying attention to um i'd sort right. of kind of written off ian desmond but now that you've brought this to my attention i will sort of be like okay now ian desmond you have my attention for at least the next few weeks
0: uh, he is playing regular center field now that uh so charlie blackman is injured david dahl has been playing right uh ramel tapia who we've talked about before is having actually a pretty good year is playing left field uh the rockies are still 10 games out behind the dodgers they are two games under 500 they are fourth in the National League West, they have uh, 8.6% odds at FanGraphs to make the playoffs, and that is almost entirely about the wild card. I, I mean, the division's over, right? The Dodgers are winning that division.
1: Yeah, but the I think the second NL wild card or both NL wild cards could frankly end up being kind of a mess. And because there's so much, I mean, any any day you look at the schedule in the National League, it's like oh, there, there's yeah, there's contenders playing each other. There's like good There's there's no the, the Marlins are really the only kind of like. You know, really giants. I guess too giants. Modern giants are only two like real kind of like you know weak spots. Even the Nats who are ten games under, you don't look at them and you're not like no. they give night, go on
0: some run, you know. And also
1: on any given night, you're facing Scherzer, Corbin, Corbin, Frezza. I mean, they're, what I said, they're two and ten, and Scherzer starts this year. That's like it's it, crazy. It's,
0: some I think MLB Network tweeted or put on a, a, a graphic where it's like uh, the the ERA of relievers following Scherzer is like eleven and a half.
1: But uh, but anyway, so the, the Rockies are still they're still have a puncher's chance i still you know maybe daniel murphy can get healthy and actually start hitting he's been brutal because he's been hurt and starting to show some signs of life
0: yeah but i mean kyle freeland has not been no good. Mar- marquez still looks great gray has been you know his usual hit or miss anderson's hurt uh, i'm out i think i'm out I, I the only thing i'm sure of in the national league uh two things i'm sure that the marlins and the giants aren't going to contend i'm sure the dodgers are going to win the west anything else you could possibly come up with, I would believe, has a chance.
1: But I think, you know, the 8% odds of making the playoffs, like, that's— Sounds right to me. And that's—but that's—I mean, if you're the Rockies right now, based on how many things have gone wrong thus far yeah. this season, I think you're kind of like, okay, could be could be worse. Yep, Arenado's been good. Story's been good. <laughs> could be worse, I guess,
0: Uh is right. We get—at uh, least I get a lot of questions— about what in the world is happening to Jose Ramirez? And it's going back to our our Twins and uh, Indians conversation here. Uh, Cleveland did not have a very well-reviewed off season. They did just about nothing. We talked about their outfield. Uh, they actually they actually had signed Carlos Gonzalez to a minor league deal. They started him batting cleanup on May twenty-first and DFA'd him the next day, which I guess is a sign. The,
1: I don't a, know what that's a sign it of. It sounds of, sounds of a disconnect between the front office and, <laughs> I the,
0: guess. and the manager. <laughs> Um, their outfield is expected to be poor. It is poor. Um, I don't think you could have predicted that Kluber would have gotten hurt and Mike Clevenger would have gotten hurt, nor that Lindor would have gotten hurt, or that Jose Ramirez would have played like legitimately one of the worst hitters in baseball. I mean, it was July last year, and I think we were all thinking about, is this guy going to have the best third-base season of all time? It was like his third straight great year.
1: He finished... He finished- Third in AL MVP in each of the last two seasons, although in the second half of last season, it started to go a little south. So,
0: so far this year, Jose Ramirez is hitting 197, 297, 295. That is a 59 weighted runs created plus. That is the sixth lowest 2019 qualifier. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who the lowest is because uh, it's someone who we've talked about a lot, and also it's Jackie Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, don't forget, as as Matt alluded to, he, got a, he had a really, really poor end to the season last year. If you go back, to August 15th of last season through today, 183-302-293. That is the 11th worst line in baseball, minimum of 200 plate appearances. This is not a slump. This is now like an ongoing coming up on a whole year of what in the world has happened to this guy. Uh, So far this year, his hard hit rate is 29%. That is 14th percentile. That is, you know, 86% of guys are better. Uh, His strikeouts are up a bit from 11% to 16%. Walks are down from 15 to 12 percent, like you know, bad directions. But those are both still good numbers for sure. Um, I'm not sure I have like a satisfying answer here, Uh, but if if you look at some of the stuff that's happening, his launch angle has gone up each year from 13 to 13 degrees to 15 degrees to 19 degrees to 22. I don't know that that's necessarily like you know too much launch angle I and mean, there is such a too much of a good thing but it's a thing that i noticed which is kind of weird if you if you're trying to put the ball in the air and crush homers uh, that would be something i would look for and it hasn't really worked out for him
1: yeah there's one theory i heard was that in an effort last year he ended up with 38 home, 39 home runs and he only hit two in september that he was really trying to get to 40 home runs there's something there's something kind of you know for a guy of his size to get 40 home runs is you know would have definitely been you know 5 foot 9 uh, 190 pounds, guy his size to get to 40 home runs really would have been something and that he was really trying to get there and that maybe that kind of led to this this sort of bad these bad habits of really hitting the ball in the air too much.
0: Uh one theory I heard was that he uh is just hitting this some poor luck, right? He has a 320 expected weighted on base, even that's only like league average, which is down for him. But his actual weighted on base is 268. So that's a large gap, so fine. But if you look at him over the previous two years he overperformed. He had a 365 expected and a 394 weighted on base. So that's a a plus 29. I'm not sure I'm exactly buying that. Um, One thing Matt dug up that I thought was pretty cool, he is seeing a massive amount of shifts. In 2016, he faced shifts about 2% of the time, then 4% of the time last year, 39% of the time this year, 63% of the time. Now he's a switch hitter. I've combined both sides there, but it's been up on both sides. Um, That's pretty huge. And as you also noticed, his sprint speed is down. Uh, He was above average in 2016 and 2017 at 28 feet per second, where the average is 27. Last year, 27.5, this year, 26.9. And you may remember in spring training on March 24, he had to uh, be carted off the field after fouling a pitch off of the inside of his knee, but ended up playing an opening day like four four days later. I don't know if it's that because obviously last season ended poorly too. So I don't just want to say he's not healthy. But when we know a guy has had uh, a leg injury and his sprint speed is down, that tells me something I think
1: although what's interesting is that he's 12 for 14 in stolen bases this year that So he's great. actually still when I looked when I saw the sprint speed being down I was like I wonder. let me look at his stolen base numbers then I saw that he's like stealing bases as efficiently as ever so it kind of that kind of threw me off but the also not just is he seeing, seeing a lot more shifts he's his performance against the shift against the shift is is really really uh being hurt. let me pull this up quickly
0: yeah while you're pulling that up one thing i forgot to mention about ian desmond you reminded me with the stolen bases he had 15 stolen bases in 1720 last year and none this year <laughs>
1: um so yeah uh last year um jose ramirez as a left-handed hitter against the shift had an, a weight on base of 371 this year against the shift it's 239 so it's he's really you know again that could be a little bit of bad luck because he's not like a dead pull hitter and as you I think you noted his it's not like his pull percentage is, is up it's down in fact but um, there's definitely something to that that the teams it, it doesn't seem to be a coincidence that teams are suddenly shifting him a lot more and his performance against the shift is dropping uh, precipitously well you
0: can see that if you look at his batting average on balls in play so everything I've got here is for uh, from 16 to 19 right so that it's gone down 333 to 319 to 252 to 219 uh that i think some of that is the shift like that's the one thing we know the shift does it'll eat up some of those batted uh, balls but uh his expected batting average has dropped as well uh expected bad 320 to 323 to 283 to 274 so he is underperforming and that has actually you know gone down each year uh but i think he's also earned less and he's been eaten up by the shift more the answer here is i don't have an answer he doesn't even turn 27 until September. I think it's some combination of all of these things. Maybe his leg hurts. Maybe he screwed up a swing. Maybe he can't handle the shift. The shift is mostly effective as a mind game, I think. Um, all I know is that it's kind of getting too late for Cleveland to fix this if he and Lindora don't start hitting like the you know top 10 players that we know they can be.
1: It's. I mean, you don't want to say the decisions, the division is done, but it, it's hard to come overcome a 10 game deficit on May. Uh... May 28th.
0: Hey, where's the All-Star game this year?
1: Yeah. right Okay. Uh-huh. Too bad.
0: <laughs> um and in uh, another uh, Ohio-based hitter who's not off to a good start, Joey Vado. 242 340 366. That is an 88 weighted runs created plus where 100 is league average. Since the start of last year, a mere 405 slugging percentage, although his on-base percentage last year was still sky high. Um this year he's striking out a lot more. He's striking out 23% of the time up from 16. He has an 11. This is an amazing Joy stat. stat. His walk rate is 11.6%. For most hitters, it's really good. That is his lowest since 2008. Uh, he has a very similar hard hit rate to Jose Ramirez at 29.8%. The Reds, have, as a team, have Major League Baseball's lowest hard hit rate as 31.1%. We're going to get into their pitching in a minute. Uh, well, this was a team that was expected to crush and have trouble pitching, and it's been literally the exact opposite of that. It's been a very weird year in Cincinnati. Uh, He turns 36 in September. It's not like one particular thing here. If you look at, uh, you know, his line drive rate is down from 34% to 23%. His fly ball rate is up. So maybe he's trying to get the ball in the air a little more to offset, you know, his lack of hard hit. Um, But he's down on breaking pitches. uh, By you know, he's down on fastballs. He's down on off speed. I can't find like one single thing this is. it just seems like a guy who's about to be 36 years old.
1: (laughs) I kind of—I mean, I wouldn't have expected this, but I think we kind of should have seen this coming last year. His power really disappeared last year. He still led the National League in on base percentage at 417, so I think we kind of overlooked. It's like, oh, Vado's still good. But if you look at it, you look at his isolated power, which is uh, slugging minus batting average kind of, you know, it basically tries to give a sense of, you know, what kind of power you're hitting with. You know, in 2017, uh, his last, I think, kind of great year uh, – his ISO was 258. Last year it was 135. This year it's 124. That's, I mean, so the the 135 ISO for a 35 year old player should have been kind of a giveaway that this was this could this could happen quickly. So, um, you know, he's still drawing walks and getting on base a decent clip 340. But for a guy with no speed, it's not that valuable. For a, all you can do is basically like draw walks, you lose a little bit, and it's 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 definitely a little bit of sad because you know he's also one of the internet's favorite baseball players, and he's. Uh, really thoughtful player and fun to watch so you hope that maybe he can I mean he's he's a smart enough player that you can maybe think that he may be, to be able to make some adjustments and figure out a way to be an effective uh, hitter again but it's not great right now
0: uh, I'm trying to find how many years he has left on his contract it's like four or five still I think
1: yeah it's um it's one of those deals that probably in the aggregate when you consider how good the Reds were while the deal was going on, is not going to be that great because it, it didn't really coincide with them being like a a top contender. But uh, he's really been, uh, uh, you know, one of the most consistently dominant hitters in the game. He, he, like Ramirez, he is also seeing a struggle, struggling against the shift. His uh, weight on base against the shift is 263 this year. It was uh, 369. Last year, he's also now getting shifted about 40% of the time, was about 25% of the time coming into this year. He was always seemed like one of those kind of shift-proof hitters because he was very good at kind of spraying the ball. Uh, but uh, even that seems to be catching up with him a little bit as well.
0: I just looked it up. After this year, he has four more years and $100 million. Now, I'm happy to see Joey Votto get paid because Joey Votto rules. Uh, but based on the last year and a half, the four more years of a guy who can only play first base, uh, seems like, I don't know, I'm having a hard time seeing this turnaround, but I'm hopeful because, like you said, he's such like he works at his craft harder than anybody and i don't expect, you know, 37 home run power again but if he can be a league average guy with high on base percentage that's not nothing
1: no it's not um and let's get some good let's end with some good news for the reds
0: the reds we like i just said expected them to crush hasn't happened uh, weren't really sure about their pitching their pitching has been awesome and if you remember uh, the pitching very recently has been pretty poor in uh, as recently as 2016 there were headlines at 538 saying things like the reds pitching might be the worst of all time And that was true. In 2016, the Reds pitching had a 0.9 pitching wins above replacement at Fangraphs. Uh, Going back to 1901, only one team to that point had had a lower number, the 2006 Royals. Uh, We should probably mention that right now. The 2019 Orioles are at negative 1.3, so maybe that'll be a thing later. And in 2017, the Reds had a 517 ERA, right? Not very good. So far this year, the Reds ERA, 361, is second best in the National League. They've allowed only 56 home runs. That's the best in the National League. They have allowed only 83 barrels. That's the best in the National League. And their 26.3% strikeout rate, best in the National League. They've been really, just objectively really good. Now, part of that is Luis Castillo. I think we've talked about him a couple times. He is, uh, I think, a bonafide ace. I don't think that's
1: controversial to say. I think that's a legitimate say at this point.
0: Um, and, And, you know, if you look at, I wanted to compare this 361 ERA to the entire history of the Reds, which goes back quite a while. Hard to do, just because, you know, the the run environment shifts around so much. So what I did is I looked at fangraphs, and they have a metric there called ERA minus. It's like the uh, inverse of OPS+. plus. It it compares to league average for that year and uh, puts it on a scale where 100 is average. This year, the Reds have an 83 ERA minus, so 17% above average. If you go back to 1901, that would be the fifth best mark in Reds history. And of the four above them, the most recent year, nineteen forty. So this has just been an objectively very, very good pitching team, and I I was so fascinated to know why. And, you know, they've made some changes, right? Some of the guys who struggled last year are gone. Uh, Homer Bailey was a mess last year, 609 ERA, he's gone. Sal Romano wasn't very good last year. He's now in AAA with a 514 ERA. Uh, Matt Harvey pitched for them, uh, wasn't very good, had, definitely has not been good for the Angels. They made a couple of uh, of changes to their roster. Sonny Gray has come aboard. Uh, Tanner Roark. Uh, they traded for Alex Wood, but he's been hurt; hasn't really pitched. And I think maybe most importantly, they they uh, got Derek Johnson to be their pitching coach. They hired him away from uh,
1: Milwaukee. That's a big deal. That was kind of a. I mean, it sort of went under the radar just because you know pitching coaches, whatever a pitching coach leaving from one successful job to another team in the division, in the division. that's yeah. like that's not a really thing that happens. But, you know, you look at every... Last year, the Brewers came within a game of the World Series with a pitching staff of mostly nobodies, and you have to give the pitching coach some credit for that. And sure enough, he goes to another team in the division, and suddenly a pitching staff of a lot of nobodies and one, like, great young pitcher is putting together one of the best seasons in baseball. Yeah,
0: and they, uh, they hired some new... Uh, um, um analysis guys like uh, Caleb Cotham former Reds pitcher former guest on this podcast who worked at uh you know the drive line and he is now uh, on their staff and you should hear what the guys are saying this is uh from cincinnati.com a couple weeks ago Jared Hughes said the stuff they're coming at us with is the best I've ever seen in my career. It's cutting edge and it's helping us a ton. David Hernandez said, "I feel like it's light years ahead of where we were last year. I don't know what that says about the guys from last year, but it says a lot about Derek Johnson and David Bell, who's the the new manager there. And it's a credit
1: because it's the same, it's it's the same front office, so it's a credit yeah. to them that they seem to have identified. Right. Hey, we were we're kind of you know behind the times here, and they're doing something about it. And clearly, it's making a it, difference because the, the, play, the players are noticing. Yeah,
0: no, I think you're absolutely right. It's cool to say like, okay, I think you know." it's been proven that this stuff works and it's cool to see the players talking about it and buying into it. Um, and some of it is, you know, like we said, Castillo has been great. They've got a, a couple of really interesting guys in the bullpen. Amir Garrett has been fantastic. He's a, a former starter. He's now got a 196 year in relief, you know, velocity up changes his pitching. Uh, you know, Hernandez has been okay. Rysel Iglesias, I don't think anybody talks about him enough. He's been a really good closer and they've added uh Roark and Sonny Gray, and they've both been good, but in very different ways. Um, we, you know, Sonny Gray's ERA is down from 490 with the Yankees last year to 354. His strikeout rate is up and his ground ball rate is up. Wonderful. That's perfect. Uh, we just introduced new pitch movement leaderboards at Baseball Savant. And if you were to look at his slider, it's got 10 and a half extra inches of break, horizontal break, above average at his velocity, third best behind Chazro and Adam a That's a really good thing. Uh, he is throwing more four-seamers. Now, most guys don't do that, but I mean, I think last year we all knew that the Yankees wanted him to throw more breaking pitches. He didn't really seem comfortable with it. Well, maybe this is what happens. Tanner Roark, I can't quite wrap my head around. Um, he has had an ERA drop from 434 to 320. That's very good. But his expected weight on base is up by 20 points, and his BABIP is up by about 50 points, and his hard hit rate is up. Now his strikeouts are up. He has somehow managed to drop his home run per nine rate from 120 to 0.32. Really, really good. uh, And he has nearly doubled his slider usage. I don't know how much of this is sustainable. I don't look at this as like the best pitching staff in the National League for the entire season. But I think you really know that it. it is a it is a credit to them, uh, you know, the front office for getting this new coaching staff who's really brought some cool new ideas and for the players to buy into it. I mean, that's that's a huge turnaround here.
1: You mentioned Garrett, I, you know, also Robert Stevenson, who's who scuffled a little bit recently, but they basically took two of their best pitching prospects of recent years and were like, you know what, you guys are relievers now. And they're getting a lot more out of them. Similarly, I love what they're doing with Michael Lorenzen. It's kind yes. of really going under the radar. Yes, um, great. He's also not really hitting. They, they're they're trying to have kind of like the hybrid twenty fifth yeah. man. Like he's played nine games in the outfield. He's pitched in twenty three games, twenty innings pitched. Um, he actually has a two fifty four ERA, so he's pitching pretty well. Um, he's only hitting ooh one twenty five, two twenty two, two fifty. So not much after last year when he put up a an OPS over a thousand in uh in thirty four plate appearances. But you know they're 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 trying some things. They are not really the surprise contenders people maybe thought they were going to be, but they're 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 a decent team. They're not they're not pushovers. They've got a good pitching staff, um, and credit to them. I, I don't know where they're going to kind of go from here because it's as we said, Vado's kind of. Yeah, you know, we don't really know what what he's going to be long term, but Senzel's up. He's starting to show some things, so yeah. it's, it's it's an it's an interesting.
0: Thing. It is like e- Eugenio Suarez is such an underrated star because he plays third base in the National League, where it's like impossible to break out in third base in the National League, and he's
1: consistently very good. Iglesias is one of those guys. He's a very good closer. He's also under contract for like two and a half more years at a really reasonable deal. Yeah, I wonder if they decide, you know, we're not in it this year. Maybe we you could get something for him at the deadline because he would not be. He doesn't make a ton of money. And he's not a rental, so relievers are always in demand at the deadline. You actually could could package him as like a much better option than some of the other names that will be out there who would be coming up as, as rentals. So um, he's a name I, I'm always interested to watch as like a potential trade candidate because, you know, teams that might be in sort of I wouldn't call them in full rebuild, they're kind of semi rebuild. You don't really need a like a sort of capital C closer so uh they might be able to sort of add to their young depth of talent that way
0: yeah no the Reds got a lot of credit this offseason for for making moves to try to go for and they haven't they all worked out like Wood hasn't pitched Puig has only been okay Kemp didn't last very long uh but they they really made huge strides with the pitching staff and I'm sure there are a lot of teams who wish they'd gone after Sonny Gray or Tanner Roar because they've been uh pretty big success stories for what has been an interesting Reds team uh, that is our show for this week this is the MLB.com Stackcast podcast thanks for listening